Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists, and food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's my goal to satiate your appetite. So, this is where you'll find nationally recognized celebrity chefs food artisans, authors, experts, and visionaries who love food, travel, and living the best life. And every topic is on the table with recipe inspiration, party planning, wine pairings, cooking techniques, and much more shared all throughout the hour. I hope to make food come alive in multiple ways every Sunday for you, from dinner brainstorms to the current climate of the wide world of food. We celebrate all things culinary and their ability to feed the soul. So get comfortable and listen in because we're dishing on everything from grilling to smoking to better barbecue and Italian-inspired canning, mostardas, and giardiniera this hour. You can always find me serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. And I hope you'll follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen for daily inspiration. And seeing that summer is in full swing now, there are so many grand foods to savor this season. Fresh sweet berries from the farmer's market, picnics by the beach, ice cream desserts, and of course, the beauty of a killer cocktail, right? Summer screams for cool drinks and backyard barbecues. It's a perfect pairing, really. And there's a question out there, of course, as to how you can elevate your seasonal cocktails. For me, it's all about staying cool. Now, for years, leading bars have taken great pride in maintaining a cutting-edge cocktail program. But in the past few years, ice has become the hot topic, since everyone's looking at new ways to impress when it comes to keeping your drinks cool. So, don't sweat those rising temperatures. Just drop one of my ice cubes infused with fruits or veggies or herbs into a tall glass of water, and you can watch the heat melt away. Better yet, make your own seasonal cocktails come alive by creating flavor-infused ice cubes yourself. I guarantee, by the way, that you will have your guests saying, wow, so how do you do it? This is what I like to say will make you a culinary hero. You can pack leaves of fresh mint into oversized ice cube trays and fill them with water and then freeze them. Think about the mojitos those will make, right? I happen to love how the icy cold hint of mint unravels into a drink with each sip as the ice cubes dissolve and disperse. And you can actually infuse cubes with lots of edibles, herbs, edible flowers, even fruit. Now, when it comes to an ice cube tray, we've come far from the plastic standard, and the silicone ice molds today really do give you um, a better handle at making sure that the ice forms beautifully and that your infusions or the aromatics, the herbs, the fruit, or otherwise that you're using become suspended within the cube itself. So it's an inexpensive investment to purchase some silicone ice tray. And I guarantee you that your ice cubes will be more brilliant because of it. 
from a, a tall pitcher of lemonade to a fresh glass of water with that thin slice of lemon in the ice cube just to freshen up the taste, you'll see a world of difference. And it, again, is so ultra impressive. Now, for cocktail inspiration... I happen to be a vodka girl. So my new summer drink is what I call a vodka nut. It's a vodka with coconut water ice cubes. And I like to use those little coquito nuts as the garnish. You could call it a vodka nut or a vodka nut, but the vodka coconut combination is outrageous. So you make coconut water ice cubes using, of course, everyone's favorite uh, hot trend beverage, and that is coconut water, which they do say hydrates you better than any other liquid. And I make my coconut water ice cubes just by pouring the coconut water straight into the ice cube trays. Think about making sriracha ice cubes next time you put out a Bloody Mary bar. Oh, yes. The possibilities are really endless. And I put together some of my best suggestions based on inspiration from the trendiest bars across the U.S., So in Atlanta, one of the liveliest spots in the downtown Atlanta area is a bar called Alma Cocina. Um, They call it Alma Cocina because it's a a Latin-inspired culinary program. And they love at Alma Cocina to see how ice affects the flavor and the texture of their tequila. So they are making fresh pineapple ice cubes to infuse and slowly melt into a tequila, nice and cold, refreshing, and full of fabulous flavor. You got to love it, right? Now in New York City, jalapeno slices are infusing their flavor into ice cubes and watermelon juice is being added for a refreshing summertime sparkler at um, the Union Square Cafe, which I love as well. And I I love that combination too, I have to say. You've got um, gin and jalapeno and fresh watermelon juice. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Then topped with a little bit of bubbly so that you get the effervescence. What a crazy combination. And then in Sydney, Australia, the infused ice cube craze has no doubt uh, been found there. It has extended to the other side of the world. Um, One of Australia's hippest hotels, the QT Sydney, which I'm dying to go to, has a barrel-aged bourbon program in their very stylish brasserie, and they are serving their bourbon with an orange twist and maple-infused ice cube, and that, to me, also sounds quite scrumptious. Now, don't forget, if you need a, a shortcut, let's say you forgot to make the infused ice cubes in time for the party, or uh, you just haven't gotten around to it yet, although I know you will, because it will make your summer truly spectacular. I wanted to give you a quick hack. I like to make what I call boozy ice pops. It's a great starter for a party and it's a great ending or dessert as well. And the shortcut here is that you buy fruit flavored popsicles just in the frozen food section of your supermarket and you pour the best cava or prosecco or, you know, good valued sparkling wine that you have into large wine glasses. And then you stick a fruit flavored popsicle already made for you into the glass. I will say 
the popsicle melts slowly into the sparkling wine and you can munch on the popsicle all the way through and it is pretty delicious. So it will too keep you cool and chilled. And that is today's conversation on Ice Ice Baby. Here's some other really interesting food news that I hope you can use. This summer, diners in New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles will get their hands on a hamburger that has been five years in the making. No, really, it's supposed to be great. The burger looks, tastes, and smells like beef, except for it is entirely made from plants. It actually sizzles on the grill from what I've been told. It browns. It even oozes a little bit of fat when it cooks. It's the brainchild of former Stanford biochemist Patrick Brown and his research team at the Northern California-based company called Impossible Foods. Now, the startup's goal is like many in Silicon Valley, to create a product that will change the world. So Impossible Foods has developed a burger that it says is less resource-intensive, healthier, and will eventually be cheaper to produce than red meat. Now, the Impossible Burger is more than just peas and carrots smashed together. It's actually pretty high-tech research. They analyze meat at a molecular level to determine what makes a burger taste, smell, and cook the way it does. So this Impossible Burger is still squishy while it's raw, and it firms up and browns on the grill. And it's really fascinating, actually. So look for an impossible burger at a restaurant or retail store near you. The company is actually partially funded by Bill Gates and Google has a stake as well. And Google actually offered uh, $200 million for the company and Mr. Brown refused the purchase. Uh, he did not sell. In fact, he bought a larger space, a 66,000 square foot manufacturing facility in Oakland so that he could ramp up production. And that means an impossible burger is coming to a bun near you really soon, in fact. And that's news that you can use, right? (laughs) And don't touch your dial because coming up next, Chef Joel Gamerin is here You have been watching his new show, Scraps, right? Yes, we're turning food waste into marvelous meals coming up next. And before the end of the hour, we'll dish with restaurateur Geraldine Gilliland. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here with informative, entertaining, and inspiring culinary conversation in your radio every Sunday. Growing up, we followed the waste not, want not rule. My mom, of course, used up leftovers like a pro. She reinvented dishes to make scrumptious new meals. Today, according to new statistics, 40% of the food supply is wasted in the U.S., and we are all responsible. Well, there is this extraordinarily, wonderfully engaging, warm personality, a chef who is doing something about it. He is named Joel Gamerin, and he is the national chef for Sur La Table. And if you haven't watched Scraps, oh, you are missing out because Joel is taking food scraps to a whole new level. 
His new TV series on the FYI network puts Joel in a new city where he partners with chefs and food waste champions to create impromptu dinner parties using the food that you probably throw in the trash. And so Joel is here to teach you to save your scraps. And I am delighted. Joel Gamerin in your radio. I'm so glad to have you. Hi, Chef. Hey, Chef Jamie. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to be here. Well, thank you. And, and congratulations to you and kudos to you because I find the show mesmerizing. So share, if you would, a little bit of backstory and how scraps came to be. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for saying that about the show. And um, so, you know, I was... I, as the head chef for Sur La Table, I teach cooking classes. And I was in a class with a bunch of home cooks, and I was looking in their trash bins, and they were filled over the brim with shrimp shells and onion peels mm. and cucumber seeds and all the things we totally throw away. And, Jamie, you know, you went, you're professionally trained, and you're a chef. And yes, we, we share an alma mater. You and yeah, I share an alma mater, CIA. That's right. And, by the way, the carrot peels... They drive me bonkers, too. They drive all of us chefs bonkers. I mean, we look at that, and we were taught to use everything or else our restaurants would go under. But at home, we throw everything away. So that was kind of the light bulb moment, um, and that was kind of the turning point of, I got to do something about this. Okay, do you want to tell everyone about Pippi or shall I? She, it, I think you shall. I want to hear what your perspective on Pippi is. Well, no, it sounds like you have another appendage, but, but you don't. Okay, I, lo- I love this idea. So Pippi came to be because you have a VW bug that's been sort of a, a bus that's been transformed into a mobile kitchen. And it is made for quite an adventure because everyone knows you're coming, Joel. Absolutely. That's the idea is. We wanted to be a little bit loud, a little bit out of the box, but every element of the show, including Pippi, which was a VW van in 1963, but has been kind of rotting in a, in a barn for the past 40 years, was overlooked, and it was underutilized. And that's how we feel like scraps are. You know, everything comes back to overlooked and maybe passed by, and how can you uh, recreate it and give it life? And so Pippi represents what we're trying to do with the ingredients. Okay, let's start, if we could, and, and it's certainly not to challenge you, but to come up with some ideas for everyday scraps so that mm. food lovers that are listening can make better use of waste. Aside Absolutely. from your roadside foraging in some places, uh, you know, you're making the best of a strawberry farm, but for all of us at home, we have broccoli stems, for instance. Correct. You make broccoli slaw, right? Which I love. Yes. Uh, you yes. can make broccoli soup. Inspire us. What else comes to mind? Well, you take a broccoli stem, just for that example, and you peel it back and you slice that thin and it's almost like a water chestnut. Yes. So I love, love broccoli stems in stir fries. I think they're fantastic. Like you said, in soups or in braises, they're awesome. They hold their texture and they're really, really flavorful. So I just think they have so much more personality than a lot of the other vegetables. And that's what I think is so cool about scraps is we all have broccoli, and we all tasted it a million times. But you eat the stem, and it's like a new vegetable. It's kind of like a rediscovery, but you have it in your kitchen already. So that's that's what I love about this. I have to agree with you. I also think that that you're improving our palates – when we learn to use up those scraps, because some of the scraps, like the broccoli stems, for instance, have Mm. a whole newfound texture. And oftentimes they're very textural. And I happen to love the crunch or love the 
the smoothness that comes from the peels or the, uh, let's say, fennel or uh, celery root tops. There's something very unique about that herbaceousness. And I really feel like you've improved our palates when you take one step beyond the basic vegetable and you rethink its uses. I think you, I thank you for saying that, and I think that um, it enhances the vegetable. You know, like for example, butternut squash. Okay. We all throw away the outer shell. Yes. We all cut it away. We almost cut our fingers off trying to get that thing <laughs> off. That's true. And then when it finally comes off, it finds the trash. But if you take those butternut squash shells and if you cover them with a little bit of water and just simmer them for forty-five minutes, you have a butternut squash stock. And why wouldn't you use that in your butternut squash soup to make it taste more butternut squash-y? So mm. it enhances the flavors. It really, besides bringing in, like you said, new textures and, and new flavors, it actually just adds to whatever you're making. So it's the way that we chefs make food taste so great in restaurants. It's, it's piling it on top of each other and giving it kind of different layers. I'm curious, Jamie, of what, what scraps you have in your kitchen typically, and then I want to try and make something out of it. I want to, okay. What do you usually have on hand? Well, you and I come from the same chef's background. So like you with the butternut squash, you know, I use the corn cobs yeah. uh, to make corn stock like that. Um, oh, okay. Let's see. What if I told you I bought the most beautiful um, carrots, rainbow carrots okay. at the yeah. farmer's market and I bought a lot of them because we were feeding a crowd and I was roasting carrots and then um, maple butter glazing them with a a little bit of sriracha in the glaze. So you get sweet heat. Oh, they're so good. You should come over. Yeah, you should come over. I'll make those. Um, But what do you do with the carrot tops? We'll we'll swap ideas. Any, Any great top of the mind thoughts? I'm obsessed with making a salsa verde with it. And I'm actually really into right now studying all the cuts of meat that we've been throwing away. Oh, nice. So I just found this amazing new cut called the oyster cut. It's on the top of a steak that always goes home with the butcher. It's always thrown away. It's a little bit tough, but it's really great when you salt it before you cook it. And I did a carrot top salsa verde with it that literally blew my wife away. She was just, you know, couldn't believe how delicious it was. So I'm into kind of salsa verdes and pestos in that world, but there's so much you could do. What do you do with yours? Wait, I want to know how to make the salsa verde. What else is in it? <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> always, always. Uh, so I go a little Italian with it because I studied in Italy as well. So right. always a little caper, some anchovy. Always save that anchovy oil. It's amazing how much we throw that away. Just the oil inside the tin. I mean, when making a Caesar salad or any sort of dressing, that oil is gold. Very and smart. Always a little bit of that. Very yeah, smart. And some shallot. And I know this seems weird. This is goes back to your first question, Jamie, of like, what are these scraps that people have on hand? Shallot skin, like the actual peel of a shallot, is incredible if you grind it up. If you just put it in a Cuisinart or a food processor, it will break up and it will crisp beautifully and be completely edible. So you don't have to peel that shallot. So in, in a sauce like this, it actually works. How it gives it a little bit more flavor. Interesting. I've never tried it. I mean, we always yeah. learn to throw the peel of the onion into the stock pot. 
right? Which because is great. it infuses yep. flavor. And, and I think that this this concept of composting is a wonderful one, but it doesn't always apply. So you have yeah. to rethink, right? That if the the shallot peel or the onion peel or the butternut squash peel isn't making its way to your garden, there are multiple other uses. Please pause there. When we come back, there is more delicious conversation. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Joel Gavarin is here. And of course, you are watching his new show on the FYI Network. He is at the helm as the national chef for Sir Latab, and he is using up your scraps so that we can make this country a better place for generations to come to minimize and hopefully eliminate food waste. What about fruit peel, Joel? Love fruit peel. You can dry it out and literally just serve it on top of crisp. It kind of has a leather consistency that's really beautiful that people really dig. I love to infuse it into simple syrups, and then you have kind of like a fruit peel vibe oh, going on. Oh, that's nice. I like yeah, that. Yeah, but you know what's amazing about fruit, though, Jamie? I'm going to blow your mind right now. Okay. okay. And if anyone's listening, this is a great one. I am obsessed right now with stone fruit pits. You like really? Like cherry pits apricot pits, peach pits. They're unbelievable. You're, you're saving the pits. That that does surprise <laughs> me. You're sitting in the pits. Tell us what you're doing. Okay, so if you infuse these pits into anything, a panna cotta, into um, a beautiful base to a souffle, into a cocktail base, whatever you get, it gives a really good amaretto, kind of almondy, really light hum of a nuttiness. And I am I'm, I'm obsessed with it. That's I literally just fabulous. took some vanilla. Okay. Yeah, I took some vanilla and soaked some cherry pits in it that I had. And the vanilla completely changed. And I made cookies with it. And all of a sudden, there's these cherry pit cookies that just took on this whole new vibe. So I'm into those right now. No, no heat. So there's no uh, stovetop infusion. It's literally uh, soaking the liquid with the pits for how long? It, it, the longer the better, and sometimes heat is good. So if you're making an ice cream per se, you want to, you know, you're, you're putting it the into the, the custard, right? Exactly, exactly. So the longer the better. But I would say if you hmm. heat it, minimum forty minutes, and it gives it the great almond flavor. It's cool. That's really genius. I, I, I never thought to save the pits. You are, <laughs> you are no doubt pushing the envelope in a good way. Um, Joel, talk to us about a couple of the episodes that I mean, all of them are are a buzz in the food world, but I loved the apple cake from your Hudson Valley episode. And I think because it brought me back to my roots, our roots, and it made me think of the CIA and 
Hudson Valley apples and I mean so beautiful but everybody is is crazy about this apple cake yeah this apple cake is going <laughs> is going a little bonkers yes so um, the show itself is we really try and tell the story like you said of the area we are so in Hudson Valley in that particular episode like you said it was all about storage apples apples you know they grow in the fall but what happens year-round is they get put underground somewhere cool these big, big containers, and they bruise and they brown, and guess what? They never find their ways to our table. So we wanted to make a cake that embraced these bruised apples, that embraced the cores and the peels of the apple, so we infused it into this awesome caramel. We made it all this rustic skillet, this upside-down bruised apple cake, and Mm -hmm. it was actually vegan, because my guest for that episode, I have a guest for each episode, um, who kind of is already a food waste champion. She kind of made this plant-based cake, and I have to tell you, Jamie, it rocked. It was really good. Oh, I, I, so, I um, wanted to take my fork to the to the <laughs> TV screen. Uh, I watched it on my computer, actually, and, and, and try to garner a bite. And then uh, there's a turnip green pasta as well yeah, that yeah. everyone's talking about that you made. So we were at a farmer's market, and we were seeing all the scraps at a market. And so we found these turnip greens that were kind of wilted that were being hacked off by this one vendor because people just wanted the turnips. And we said, no, 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 we're going to make that into something gorgeous. So we worked it into this vibrant green pasta dough. We tossed it with some local chev goat cheese and mm. some of the turnip bottoms. And I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. I, I'm I, star- I, I love it. I know. Then that means you've done your job because I make myself hungry every Sunday. You can tell by my voice that I am thrilled and encouraged by the show Scraps. And I hope you will watch. Joel Gamerin, the national chef for Sur La Table, is hosting a program that will teach you to save your scraps. Yes, broccoli stems make brilliant slaw and ice cream from bruised bananas and stale bread with a second life, you can make a difference. You can watch episodes of Scraps on FYI.TV online. You can look for the FYI channel on your television and you can follow Joel at joelgamerin.com and of course at sirlatob.com and then on social media at joelgamerin and at cook scraps. Joel, will you come back again as you create new wonderful ways to use it up so that we can continue to make a difference in our own homes and our own kitchens? Are you kidding? I, I would, would love it. adore that. Okay, I good. I love that. I can't wait. You will hear Joel Gamerin right here in your radio uh, sometime again soon and uh, continue to, to do great things. Uh, once again, congratulations, Joel. Thank you, Thank Chef you Jamie. so much. Using up scraps and making every day delicious. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, and there is more fabulous food right after this. Gain culinary intelligence right here and right now. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is a story of the American dream. Restaurateur Geraldine Gilliland, owner of Lula Cocina Mexicana Restaurant in Santa Monica, began her food career as a cooking teacher and caterer. In 1984, she opened her first Los Angeles-based restaurant, Gilliland's Cafe. In 1991, she opened Lula Cocina, and her classic Irish pub, Finn McCool's, in Santa Monica followed suit. 
She is sharing her favorite recipes from Malibu to Mexico in a new release entitled The Lula Cocina Cookbook. And you will not find a restaurateur with more passion and commitment to the trade than you will in Geraldine. I am delighted to share with you the recipes and prose of my friend Geraldine Gilliland as she is here to dish. And I am so glad to have you. Hi, Geraldine. Hi, Jimmy. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yes, of course. Okay, tell a bit of your backstory, please, because I really do love that a good Irish girl from a family of what you call, and I quote, terrible cooks, became such a fine Mexican chef. Well, you know, it's funny. In 1984, when I opened Gilliland's, I, I had a Latino kitchen, and I noticed what they were cooking for their own meals with lots of different chilies and beans and tortillas, and I was fascinated, and mm. I started studying up on it, and then I happened to read an article in Bon Appetit magazine about all these famous women in Mexico City. And fast forward, I was on a plane to Mexico to study with Lula Bertrand before I even could say Jack Robinson. It was that fast. Fabulous. You know, it's funny. It makes me, when you mention the staff meal, think back to my time a lot of years ago in professional kitchens. And there's something to be said for those that, that cook professionally you seldom want to eat what you've made over and over and over during service, but I always looked forward to and craved the staff meal because I knew, because I too worked in a, a predominantly Latino kitchen in my, starting out in my roots, that that food was so authentic and so delicious. And I always felt like there was love in it. And I aspired to make chili rellenos the way that they did. We had one dish, and it's in the book. It's crab cakes, Gilliland's crab cakes with a tomatillo sauce that just came out of nowhere, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's amazing how the most famous signature dishes come alive. Okay, I'd like to eat with you because we do that best together. Yes. Uh, so first we should start with a cocktail, though. Can you please teach us to make your pineapple-infused tequila? You are a tequila aficionado. You offer something like 300 different tequilas at the restaurant, do you not? I think it's more like 500 and something now. Is it but, now? Um, I, can't, I cannot keep up. <laughs> I, I, it's a tough job, really. But you know, pineapple this season and all the fruit, because we've had early heat, is showing very high bricks level. So pineapple-infused tequila started now will be very brilliant come, you know, a few weeks into summer. Oh, it's so easy, too. All you need is some really good ripe pineapples and, you know, cut them up, slice them, and then put them into, you know, one of those glass jars that you get in the Mexican markets or Smart and Final sells them. And then pour in your, your, your tequila. We, we like, oh, of course, we have 500, but we love Hiradura Silver for this, for this recipe. Mm -hmm. And then just let it sit um, for a couple of days and... I promise you, you will feel like you're lying on the beach in Zihuatanejo, where I first had this <laughs> recipe when you tasted it. It's so delicious. We'll take a quick break when we come back. More right after this.
We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Tell us about your favorite areas of Mexico. Where did you gain your most uh, prized culinary expertise while traveling? Two or three places. Um, the first place I would say is Mexico City with yes. Lula Bertrand, my mentor, my friend. She and I started there in her kitchen, and she took me around the whole city. She got me private lessons with other famous chefs like Patricia Quintana mm. and, and bakers. And then one year we went to, uh, to Oaxaca. I, I'd say that was the highlight of my, my Mexico experience. Um, and it's actually where I met a lot of other professional chefs, cookbook authors. I mean, I'm sitting eating grasshoppers with uh, with the lady from Ireland who owns Ballymaloo Cook- Cookery School, Dorina Allen. And, you know, across the table is Diana Kennedy. And so Oaxaca was the, the field of dreams for me. I could imagine so. And what dishes at the restaurant came from Oaxaca? What is inspired from there? Well, uh, for sure the mole and the, the, the tamales that are made with, we call them Oaxaqueños. So they're basically in the dark, what... Americans like to call chocolate mole. Yes. Um, of course, there's millions of moles, but mole, mole for the Oaxacan tamales, and then they're wrapped in banana leaves and steamed. Those are, those are pretty famous. Mm. And, and, and we do make the mole from scratch. It's, it's a very, I didn't put it in the book because it's a very difficult um, recipe, but you can use the sauce for enchiladas and other things too. Yeah, there's something brilliant about... A few recipes, I mean, I'm all about, I love a shortcut and I love a few ingredients and you know I cook seasonally like you do, but there is something to be said for a mole with 26 different ingredients. At the end of the day, the depth of flavor is worth it. Yes. It really is. It's fabulous. Okay, back to our menu. You make a green ceviche that I can't wait to make. It looks scrumptious. It is really good. It was was just one of those things. So it's, it's shrimp. And it's got sliced uh, poblano chilies. Mm. And then there's like a green, I want to call it um, a marinade, like a, a vinaigrette, actually. And uh, you just, it's just like you just marinate it and eat it with little crispy tortillas. We like to spread guacamole on the cr- tostada. Like mm. they're not huge, you know, big tostadas. They're regular little uh, tostadas. Put the guacamole on and then just load up the ceviche. It's fabulous. Yeah, and lots of fresh lime and cilantro and jalapenos in there as well. And exactly. Really, uh, I would think a very high acid, spicy complement to the rich shrimp, if you're using Mexican whites, which are my favorite, then you get that complement of the sweet shrimp and the bright, hot marinade or vinaigrette. And you know what? You don't need to let it sit for days. I mean, it, it, it really will not take that long. I actually had this dish in another place that Lula took me was in the Yucatan. Yes. And we were invited to the governor of Quintana Roo's home for a big IACP culinary. It was like the first food festival of the Yucatan. And I had this dish there mm. that was fabulous. Oh, such a good food memory. Can you share your secrets to the best carne asada, please? Because I was surprised by the simplicity of your recipe. Well, you know, it is actually one of the most popular dishes on the menu. Um, the carne asada tampicano, what it has basically that's just a little bit different is um, it's a cheese enchilada on the side. A little, and it's not like an enchilada, it's just folded like a triangle. And rajas, which are basically roasted peppers with cream and onions, 
And yeah. then the seared meat is marinated, the meat is marinated in lime juice for at least one hour, but maybe four hours is better. You can find Geraldine Gilliland's cookbook release entitled The Lula Cocina Cookbook. Her favorite recipes from Mexico rather, to Malibu featured at her Southern California restaurants online at Chiquita's Friends or at GeraldineGilliland.com. And you should go and eat and toast and feel the love at Lula Cocina and at uh, Finn McCool's, the classic Irish pub as well. You'll have a chance to meet Geraldine and see what the community coming together and truly what a, a dedicated restaurateur is all about. Geraldine, it's my pleasure to be able to support what you do. You have an open invitation. Welcome back anytime, as long as you bring either crab cakes or sopas with you. Oh, sopas, especially the duck sopas. Yes, the duck sopas. Those were the only really complicated recipe I put in the book, but it is one of my favorite things, and it's such a unique thing. I know. I, oh, I'll sit down to sopas with you anytime. Okay, now my stomach <laughs> is gurgling. I know, me too. Geraldine, thank Thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I hope that I satiated your appetite and that if you love to cook and love to eat, as I know you do, you will tune in every Sunday and allow me to fill your plate. I will leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. We learned some months ago from the author of Will It Waffle that a waffle iron doesn't have to be a single-use appliance, right? You should think of it instead of taking up precious cabinet space in your kitchen as an easy griddle that cooks things on both sides at the same time and then turns them into crispy, delicious treats. Well, especially during the summer months when you don't want to fire up the stove or the oven, it's really nice to use your appliances that give off less ambient heat, and the waffle maker is one of them. There's nothing better as well than super crispy hash browns, right? You got to love your waffle iron, but you got to love some hash browns. Well, you can use your waffle iron to make hash browns that give you crunchy bits on all exterior parts, then you get silky smooth potatoes inside, and you get all of this without having to flip the potatoes or fuss over them in a pan. So for waffle iron hash browns, you preheat the waffle iron, of course, if it has a temperature control, set it to medium. You squeeze shredded potato with a towel until it's as dry as possible, and then I like to mix in a good liberal amount of salt and pepper. And then you use a pastry brush or a paper towel to grease rather, both sides of the waffle iron with butter, and you pile the shredded potatoes into the waffle iron, and you overstuff it a little bit, and you close the lid. And about 10 minutes total later, after a couple minutes, you push the lid down a little more to compress the potatoes. You get the most beautiful golden brown all over hash browns you have ever seen. And trust me, they are delicious. I will post the recipe for waffle iron hash browns on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.